listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello guys and welcome to episode 48 of the Nutmeg Arena podcast. Today we'll be previewing the La Liga season and we are joined by a special guest. He's been on the podcast before not so long ago. So we welcome once again Michael known by the name Cholo Colcho on Twitter. Welcome back Michael. Glad to have you again. Thank you. Thanks guys. I'm really pumped to be back. It's crazy to yeah. think last time we talked uh it was March, right? So the pandemic was just starting up. Feels like yeah. a totally different world now. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. And as usual, we have Chris, my co-host of the show as well. Welcome back, Chris, once again. Thank you. Great to be back. Looking forward to this one. Yeah. See, uh, see if we can trump the last one, eh, Michael? Yeah, yeah let's do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we we preview the Premier League a few days back, and now we are previewing the La Liga, and we'll preview the Bundesliga as well next week. So it's all coming together. I mean, the energy is coming back again. Football's back, and I think football's definitely kind of an escape route from all that's happening in the world right now. Definitely. Yeah. And La Liga, this is going to be exciting. because this off season we've been hearing a lot of stuff especially barcelona but not just barcelona a little bit <laughs> yeah barcelona valencia yeah. villarreal had some surprise new announcement positive announcement uh, and it's it, it's been a mess spanish football last you you said last time that spanish football was a complete mess and that's exactly what's happened so Oof. if we'll start with no we will just go through the top 4 then probably go to the mid table and the bottom half followed by who you think might finish in the i mean the relegation zone basically people teams will get relegated but moving on to the top tier teams first real madrid barcelona do you see anyone else giving this to a competition this season michael oh i wish <laughs> if i was mm. going to bet any money it's the the two obvious ones it's like come madrid and sevilla but uh, i you know i don't know i i would say either of those teams realistically could at least get close to the title if they're going up against the sort of uh you know weakened madrid or barcelona but i think there are just too many questions obviously specifically about the catalans to know how they're going to do this season but i'm also i'm uh i'm kind of not the most optimistic person on madrid right now we'll have to see what happens with a couple of key players first yeah madrid and if if you look at madrid they have not made any signings perfectly i guess mm. uh, they they had odegaard back and they decided to keep him this season and i i i think the only big probably uh, i think they actually sold players rather than buy oscar rodriguez moved yeah. to sevilla james after so long moved to Everton Chris is happy with that signing being an Everton fan <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah there you go Yeah yeah and Takfusa Kubo again the youngster he moved to Villarreal we'll come to that in some time and players like Brahim Diaz moved to Milan on loan Renier moved to Dortmund on loan again it's probably similar to Asraf mm-hmm. Hakimi Hakimi moved permanently which is a surprise for me definitely And yeah, me too. And yeah, that, 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 that's all. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, I was going to say. Let's touch on that. The uh, Hakimi, because I think that came as a bit of a shock to mostly everyone. Are you surprised, Michael, that given how well he done, he what he done at Dortmund, that they've they've sold him so quickly, Real Madrid? Yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised that they got rid of him. I'm not at all surprised that he wanted to get out. I mean, you know, Dani Carvajal is still young. He still has a good 
half dozen top tier years in him, I think. So why would he want to come in and be a deputy when he's so obviously ready to be a starter right now? Makes perfect sense to me. Uh, maybe Madrid just didn't really have much to, to do to stop him, to be honest. They've got a couple of giant transfers they're going after. One of the most obvious ones. We all know who that is. So I imagine they're in one of those positions where they want to get as much money in the door as they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did, it did shock me. I mean, it didn't, didn't shock me how quickly he got snapped up. But, I mean, I suppose looking at it, I mean, they got probably got good money for someone who wasn't important to them. But I just thought, I thought this was his chance. I thought he was, this was going to be their step up. But maybe Zidane maybe just had... Has there been any mention of him having any concerns regarding him as a player, or do you think it was just purely from a financial aspect? Yeah, I haven't heard any of those concerns like you hear with you know a guy like Reguilon or anything like that. So yeah. I'm sure it was more just sporting, and you know they rate Danny highly as they should. Uh, yeah, that's tough. You know, you could you could criticize him and say, oh, at a guy who's 21, you want to see him kind of make the big step and try to challenge one of the best players in the world. I hear that. I don't think there's any criticism though in saying, you know. Great, but I don't really need to do that to prove myself. I can go thrive at another top team. So, understandable either way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Madrid, like you said, they've, they've not strengthened much, right? So, and, and yeah, it, it's obvious that none of the other teams have also massively strengthened or kind of, you know, obviously you can say that none of the teams in Spain, I, I, I think, haven't strengthened. Maybe Sevilla a little, Villarreal also. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Villarreal. I think probably uh, the team who's strengthened the most. I say, I, I would say because they've brought in brought in a new manager in Unai Emery, and he's Ooh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, he he gets a lot of stick, but I think he's still a good manager. So that's a big coup for Villarreal. But yeah, I love that. With with no no other team strengthening, I I think Real Madrid might probably think that this is another year where they probably will have a great chance to win the league again back-to-back league titles would be great for them because i think you have to go long back to find real madrid winning back-to-back league titles it's been one in some in in, in some time and then barcelona going ahead and winning multiple titles mm. so this time it's going to be really really close i feel yeah i think so too madrid it's interesting i don't know that they've actually bought outright a single player this season right i mean they brought a bunch of loanees back and i know they got about 15 players off the books but i don't <laughs> think they've actually purchased anybody yet so that that tells you i think probably two things number one how the pandemic is affecting even the biggest club in the world but also just where they've been in the past few years of hoarding talent and having enough people to move around right now at the moment it's better than most other spanish clubs are are looking at right now exactly and their biggest rivals for the title, Barcelona. They've Oof. been, I mean, <laughs> we, we actually spoke <laughs> about the mess the clubs in the last podcast we had. And that was months ago. And they're still getting, it's getting worse and worse day by day or day after mm. day, you can say. And Messi's, the whole Messi saga, my God, it's it's been such a Oof. ride, such a cycle. I know. I uh, personally know a few Barcelona fans who said like they are fully tired. They just don't know what will happen and they're ready to accept anything and everything that that's thrown their way because it's been a circus. I, I would actually say it's, it's a circus there at Barcelona, the way the clubs actually run off the pitch. But mm-hmm. you you look at the, the on-the-pitch stability. I think they sold Arthur and bought in 
Pjanic from Juventus, another 30-year-old signing. They've been mm. linked with Vinaldum, who's, who's a player I like very much. He's really good in my opinion, but is that a player that Barcelona need? I don't think so. Mm. Memphis Depay again, a signing which Ronald Koeman likes. And again, Ronald Koeman's coming next year. You're going to see, I, I guess we'll have the elections again next year. And yeah, and, and, and if there's a different president, I think which, which is pretty much likely. I don't know if Ronald Koeman stays again beyond beyond this one year. So it's all uncertain there at Barcelona. But you look at the team, they bought in Pjanic, like I said, Pedri from Las Palmas, who's really exciting. Trincao yeah, as move. well. Trincao from Portugal. So it's not a very bad window considering the pandemic, considering the situation mm-hmm. and also the rest of the league. But... It's Barcelona. <laughs> it's, it, where do you even start with this club? You know, let, let's remember, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago that we were talking about the Liverpool disaster and that they were all desperate to get Valverde out of the club. That, that wasn't even a year ago. And now, man, what was it? It was back in January. I feel like the biggest point of drama was that Arda Turan's still at the team. Now, <laughs> all these... All the you know youth players getting moved on, Arthur getting sold, a new manager, Messi trying to leave. It's like, man, where do you start with a situation going on out there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm slightly put back. I mean, I don't know if I'm in disagreement with you guys, but uh, when we say, do, first of all, just to go over Rifwick's point again, do you actually see Barcelona being Real Madrid's closest rivals this year, Michael? Man, you know I. That that's such a tough question to answer right now. I think I wrote about this on Twitter once. If you look at the squad, it's not that bad of a squad, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I understand there there are a lot of imbalances and there are a couple of key roles that aren't sort of top tier. But on the whole, top to bottom, you could be doing a lot worse than Barcelona is. So if Real Madrid comes out hitting, you know, full form and hits right out of the gates, top gear, I think they're going to be hard to stop. But you keep yeah. hearing things about Hazard's fitness, and uh, you know I think that's a that's a key part of what's going to happen in Madrid. I'm not banking on Benzema having another season like he has in the past two campaigns. So just a couple of things go wrong for Madrid, all of a sudden Barcelona is a title contender really really quickly, assuming everything hits on with them. So yeah, they're probably the biggest contenders, but there are just so many question marks, man. It could go it could go really bad, or I could see them winning a couple trophies somewhat easily. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned there on paper, on paper, I think we're all in agreement. I think most of the world will be in agreement that this squad is still more than adequate enough to challenge in most competitions. Uh, by, by all yeah. means, not favourites to win any competitions anymore. But like I said, on paper, these mm-hmm. players on the day can perform to a very high standard. But the, yeah. do, you think the, do you think the manager is up to the level to do it. Ooh, I think you'd know better than I would, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's a, man, honestly, I'd love to hear your perspective on it because when he comes in, I think you're already seeing part of the problem that's been going on for you know five years now with Barcelona. He comes in, yeah, and it's all these signings that just feel so random. That I'm sure if you if you if he was coming in and the plan was let's give Coleman you know five years to build out a project, let's let him start from now as if it's sort of ground zero. Okay, then maybe some of these signings you're thinking this is long term depth. This is to help him transition to a certain philosophy of football. But because there's not that long term view uh, in front of us, I, it just feels like you know grab whatever you can to to meet the manager's needs. But like, wh- where where's he going with all this? What problems is he solving explicitly? 
how are they going to play yeah. ball? I don't even know. But again, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective because I feel like you're much more informed on him than I am. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I mean, where'd you start? For me, is the only link to Barcelona is the fact that he's a, from a playing perspective, he's a legend for the club because he played in Cruyff's dream team. But yeah, as a manager, for me, he's so far from what you would call a Barcelona manager. That's why it shocked me when when he was actually appointed that he actually went through the, that Barcelona as a mm. club actually went through to it. Now it was time it's time in England. Well, it's time at Everton. In his first season, there was some really good aspects about what he'd done at the job. I mean, he got the best out of Romelu Lukaku. We finished seventh. Our home form was mm. fantastic. We beat the teams that we had to beat, and we were and we were difficult to beat again. Uh, but again, that summer. And as most Evertonians will know, they will always refer to the summer of 2017 was when the first time we tried to sort of sh- stretch our wings and actually compete and spend some money. It, it couldn't have been, it couldn't have, you couldn't have wrote it more wrong than what it actually went. And I think one of the mm. one of the problems of that was that Kuma doesn't really have a philosophy or a style of play Ooh. to actually go to. And now our director of football at the time was Steve Walsh. And it seemed like they were they were at loggerheads. They both wanted different things. So you could argue both yeah, you could argue both sides of the coin really. Kuma didn't get the plays that he wanted. But then when he doesn't have a style of play play or certain formation that he's he sort of adheres to, then what plays do you actually go out and buy for him? Mm. So I mean it was a contributing number of factors. We weren't solely down to him on why it went wrong at Everton. Uh, and but again, I think I think that was a main that was a main from a football point of view that was that was a main part of why it went wrong because of the fact that he didn't have a style and a philosophy so therefore we were just buying players a bit like you've said there just seemed like we were picking players from everywhere who's available are they available for that price right let's get them in and then I remember on his first game of the season I mean we bought three number 10s that summer I mean if you want to class David Classen was a number 10 Sigurdsson Wayne Rooney I mean, Dominic Carver-Loon, who plays at Full Forever, started that day as a right wing back. <laughs> and yeah, just, you see, it, that's not necessarily a problem in and of itself, right? You know, yeah. when you think about a manager, what do you need? You need someone who's going to control the locker room at Barcelona, who has a bunch of uh, very powerful personalities that have a you know, big reputation, probably a bit of ego at this point. Uh, you've got a bunch of young stars who he needs to get the best out of. So that's one, just like the man management of the team. Second thing I'm looking at is what does he do as a tactician? What's his philosophy of football? And then number three, yeah. how's he going to be able to build out a project? I would say so far, and to his credit, he's had next to no time yet. But I can't yeah. imagine that any Barcelona fans feeling encouraged in any of those aspects right now. And it sounds like what you're saying is that Everton, all of them kind of came off the rails a little bit at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And I mean, there was memes at the time of his sort of off the field approach that he was typical Dutch arrogance etc he weren't really involved in the club he didn't really want to be there and I, I mean given the way we approached him and how long it took to actually get him as the Everton manager I don't really think he, he ever wanted a job I think it was purely financial at the time obviously this is a good point for him now and a good point for Barcelona. He's not go- Barcelona not going to have that issue because he's quite clearly wanted the Barcelona job this is his dream job so maybe his approach off the field, and hopefully he has learned from past mistakes, it'll be a lot better than than what it was. I mean, if you compare the Everton job to what he'd done at Southampton, I mean, it, it's like apples and oranges at Southampton. 
<laughs> getting the be- he, he got the best out of players with limited ability. They spent yeah. very shrewdly. They, they were competing against all the top teams. Uh, I mean, he had, they found players like Mane uh, who were playing really well. Even like uh, local British players at the time, like Stephen Davis. They, I mean, he was turning them into top midfielders at the time. Um, and Alavira was there on loan at one point. Ended up going to Tottenham. That was a, a good move for him. Uh, Nathaniel, Clark, I mean, there was all, at the time. Southampton were sort of like the next best thing outside the elite clubs for those two seasons mm, that Ronald yeah. Koeman was in charge. But at the same time, Southampton were a well-run club. So Ronald <laughs> Koeman didn't really have anything to do. Plus, he took over the job from Pochettino. So you could actually probably go as far as saying, well, did he just come in and carry on? Did he ah, actually try to get did, did he just come in and actually carry on his job and not actually have any influence over them? And then when he came to Everton... He had the influence and that's when it sort of went wrong. So there's, again, it depends on which way you look at it before you start yeah. giving him any kind of credibility as a manager. But yeah, I, I'm really I'm really intrigued to see where where it goes with him. I really am. Because like I said, he's, he's a Barcelona legend and he's got links to the club. So that's, I can understand why they've, he took the job. But in yeah. terms of his football approach, he's so far from what you would call a Barcelona manager that I just don't see it going right. But, you know, hopefully for Ronald Koeman that he, uh, he proves me wrong. But it will be interesting to see. But again, Michael, I'd just like to see like to see what your opinion was. Again, it's Koeman's appointments come very much under the spotlight from the, mm-hmm. the Messi saga. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe he gets a, a little bit of luck with that. But did you really ever see Messi leaving? Barcelona. Uh, I saw Messi at the very least wanting to leave. And there, yeah, I think whenever we started hearing about <clears throat> legal issues coming between the two sides, I thought, oh man, this could really happen. And I felt, you know, all the all the pieces kind of made sense for him to go play with Pep. So I, yeah, I, I thought that was going to happen there for a minute. And I even started thinking about how if you're going to give a new manager a clean slate, I mean, you never want to sell Lionel Messi, but if you're going to do it, I guess... <laughs> give him a really clean slate to work with uh but yeah, yeah I, I i wasn't surprised that the club obviously didn't want him to go it feels a little bit like he's being held against his will i know that's probably more dramatic language than is necessary but it, it feels a bit like that so i you know last year he started the season whenever he got fit he came out of the gates just hot as hell he was playing above probably what he was able to maintain for the whole season as he proved out so I'm just curious to see as he comes in now. I'm sure he'll be as motivated as ever because he's a professional. But feeling a bit like he missed his chance to move on. He doesn't really have faith in the club. What version of him are we going to see? That's that's obviously a, a huge question mark with the club this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah I and, just, and, 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 go on, sorry, Rafik. Sorry, go on. Yeah, and and also with Luis Suarez linked with the move to Juventus, which mm. I guess is very much likely to happen. Juventus again is... Is, is actually breaking their own rules. They're, they're shipping out Gonzalo Higuain and buying another 30-plus year old Luis <laughs> It's replacing well, wood with wood. It, it's like replacing wood with wood. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, with, with Suarez leaving, who's just like very, very close to Messi, I mean, PK has already expressed that he's not very much happy. But I don't know how Ronald Koeman is going to handle all these egos at the club the senior footballers and also if if he's 
to bring players like Wijnaldum and Depay if Barcelona get these signings done where do you fit Messi I mean obviously Messi will start I mean it's it's not a question how how, I mean, how Messi will play in the starting eleven definitely he will but then what's the point in signing players like Wijnaldum because you have Pjanic you have De Jong you have Busquets who can play in the double pivot if Koeman's going for a 4-2-3-1 and Messi probably playing as a number 10 definitely mm. but Wijnaldum again what's the use of signing Gini Wijnaldum for 20-15-20 million if you want to directly put him on the bench and he's not going to get much minutes so I don't know if, wh- how Koeman's going to manage all these egos plus how he's going to approach the transfer market judging by what I'm what we're hearing right now it's definitely not positive I would say Michael, what do you do? What do you yeah. think? I feel the same way. You know, so this is a good time, I think, to compare. So Barcelona for me is like between Valencia on the far end of having no vision and Madrid, who has some clear vision, at least for the next couple of years. So what Madrid is doing is they're they're not signing any players before reason. They know they're trying to get Mbappe to be the star signing for the next decade, probably. And they want to do that within the next year. So they're willing to bank on Benzema, at least doing close to what he's been able to do the past couple of years. They're going to rely on some young players. They're praying that Hazard gets his stuff together and that other guys like Vinicius continue to develop. Uh, I think if if not for that plan in place, they would probably have bought a couple of other people by now. Uh, but they're they're sort of they're saying I'm going to bank on the current squad for a year so that I get a better return in the next year or so in the future which will give them better position for the future. Whereas with Barcelona, it feels like there's because and, and it, there is not it, it's not that it feels like this. It is like this and Messi's confirming it. There is no long-term vision. You know, it, if you if you if they were going to say, "Okay, we'll keep guys like Suarez and Griezmann, we'll hold on even like a Rakitic. We're going to keep, you know, these older kind of expiring players so that in the next couple of years when we have the chance to grab a guy like Mbappe or whatever, you know, Latoro Martinez, whoever, uh, there's a star that we have in mind that we can't get now, but we can if we just wait a year. I think fans would be more comfortable saying, okay, let's keep some of these aging stars. Let's wait for the right time to get these guys. But it's not like that. It's just shooting from the hip. And whatever new manager comes in, you try to plug gaps for him and hope for the best. <laughs> so they're, yeah. they're trending more toward Valencia's methodology right now than they are Madrid's. And I think that's that's the big difference. What happens a year from now after the election? Then what? We're going to have a whole new slate of players, probably a new manager, unless he wins the trouble. And then we're right back where we were. And there will be even older stars that are expiring and probably sitting on fat salaries. They don't want to move on. So what are we solving here? Yeah. I mean, the short the short term vision is one thing but I mean the long term vision at that club is astounding I think we touched on it in the last podcast didn't we uh, yeah it's the, the, <laughs> yeah yeah it's gotten worse since the last podcast which I didn't think was actually possible so man but I just want to touch on as well before we go on to some questions I mean Seville right now um, they must be going into the, the new season feeling pretty great and pretty confident oh, yeah. that there's a that there's a gap here, maybe that they could exploit, maybe with a maybe a dark horse for a title challenge themselves. I think so. I, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's actually Sevilla who spent the most in the summer. Now I know part of a big chunk of that was Suso, who they they had to buy for yeah. was it, thirty mil or something or twenty five million. Yeah. Um, but so I think they spent almost what was it forty forty five something uh, this summer. So they're they're up there among the biggest spenders. I think you're right on, man. You know, again, I, I don't expect this to be a season where 
surely we're not going to see you know a ninety five hundred point uh, league winner. I yeah. you know if Hazard doesn't hit form and if a couple of Barcelona guys don't uh, don't at least maintain the the underwhelming form they had last year, they're really beatable. So I think if you're Sevilla, yeah, you're coming off of getting a trophy. Uh, you're going to see Lopetegui in his second season with, I think, a stronger squad that even somehow he got even more tactical options in midfield than he had before. The only major big question mark for me is is at left back where I know Acuna seems like he at least may be the guy that they bring in. That feels like a strong, deep team that if they prioritize the league and just making sure they get you know a top four finish and a deep Champions League run, they're, they're not going after the title. They're just trying to get some money in the door from the Champions League. So I don't know. Man. I, I think a couple things go right, and you do have that sort of surprise 2014 Atleti situation where they can they can at the very least get within within grabs of the title, I think. Yeah, and how do you, how do you think they will approach the Champions League, Michael? Because it, it always makes me wonder with Seville, because obviously their history and their tradition now uh, of winning the, the Europa League. Mm-hmm. If, say, for example, they get a tough group, are they actually going to ever aim to get into the knockout stages of the Champions League? Or would they prefer to finish third and go out and go straight into the Europa League and probably win it? I don't think anyone yeah. can go in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I, I think they approach it like Monchi does. They're not looking at it just from sporting or recognition. I think to them, at this stage in their growth trajectory... They're thinking, man, that extra money from a knockout stage Champions League tie would be bigger for us than winning the Europa League. Uh, yeah. So why not? Why not go for that? But but at that point, I think once you get to the knockout stages, they're probably content with however deeply they go. They're they're obviously not going in there thinking they're contender. You never know. I think the Champions League yeah. is pretty open, but. I, they're realistic. I think that's probably one of the most level-headed uh, organizations in the league right now. So they, they know what they can do. They know their expectations. Aim for the top four. Try to get to the knockout stages. Anything you get above that, once you see there's real hope, they're going to go after it. But but not much more than that, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, and then you compare them to Atleti, and it's like, man, they're in a tricky spot of what it, what is their vision for the year? Because obviously they need to keep getting that Champions League money in the door, or they're going to lose guys quickly. Uh, yeah. They probably always feel like they're one of the second-tier contenders for the Champions League title. But should this be a season where they feel like challengers for the league? I mean, they have the squad to do it. They have the experience yeah. to do it. But I don't get the sense that that's what they're going for. It's a little disappointing to me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was, we were going to mention Atletico Madrid as part of uh, p- part of the discussion. So you've brought us on to them. Uh, I mean, what is the feeling around uh, Atletico Madrid at the moment? We just especially the way the 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 Leipzig performance for example after oh. they and the way and the way they left the Champions League what what's the general consensus at the club you know it should be more hopeful to me because it was it yeah. was last summer where they had a big clear out they lost a lot of senior leaders they lost half the starting 11 it felt like so everybody knew that last season was a transition year Simeone was going to get a lot of flack for the first you know half plus of the year because you knew they were going to underperform but they came back they got pretty close to a semi uh, uh, semifinal in the Champions League. They got you know top four spot again. So they showed that even through a transition year, they are that caliber of team. So now that they have pretty much the same squad that you know should be performing even better, their star signing Felix, he should really start coming into his own. It sh- it should feel like okay, guys, let's let's go for the let's go for the next jump in terms of a you know sporting position. Let's either see ourselves as genuine Champions League contenders or that's let's go yeah. into the season feeling like we're competing for a title. But it is, it, that's not the energy I, I get. It feels more like, okay, shoot for the top four. It, honestly, it feels just like Sevilla. 
Let's shoot for the yeah. top four. Got to get that money in the door. It's it's very, it's still very much like, hey, a pandemic's coming. Let's just make sure we don't lose our star players. If we do that, it's a success. Yeah. And come on, I mean, you know, at least at least go for like, let's get within title distance. Let you know, maybe we maybe we don't win it, but let's get within a few matches. None of this finishing being out of the title race by December or February like we've been doing. Yeah, I mean, because there's a massive opportunity as a neutral. This could be one of the most exciting La Ligas there has been in a long time. Yeah. Just due to the issues that we've uh, discussed at Barcelona. Uh, Real Madrid, again, seem like a team. They seem to be just moving forward good. But, I mean, they're not exceptional by any stretch of imagination. Yeah, exactly. Especially, like you said, be hard to see whether uh, Benzema can actually repeat the season that he had last year, whether Hazard stays fit. So there's opportunities for teams like Seville and... Atletico Madrid, uh, well, especially Atletico Madrid, given the players that they've actually mm-hmm. got already exactly. to make exactly. that ma- to make a massive push here and disrupt the top two, not just for next season but for maybe years to come if they plan wisely. But yeah, I just uh, I'm just curious to see. I mean, you mentioned yourself there. Like last season has got to be considered due to the uh, due to the transfer activity in the summer a transition period for Atletico Madrid but is there going to be maybe some pressure put on Diego Simeone this year if if, if Atletico Madrid are not up there do you think? Yeah man it's tricky you know you're, these opportunities for a team like Sevilla or Atleti to really genuinely compete for the title they don't come around very often okay the, just we all know the gap between that second tier of Liga sides and the big two is just enormous so to yeah. see this, it feels like everybody can tell this is this could be a real opportunity to at least get above Barcelona and probably get within the title. The the challenge with, with your question directly related to Simeone, I think he's going to have pressure from certain players. I, I, I think just the nature of his relationship with the club, he won't have any pressure unless he falls out of the top four. The club's not going to like sack him because he doesn't win a title. And you could say yeah. that's unfortunate, but that, that's just the reality. I think most fans especially domestically, you're in the same boat. But there are players like Oblak, Partey, uh, I think they might start saying, okay, you know, we want more than this. And the squad is yeah. here. We're still not going as deeply as we can. I'm, I'm ready to move on. So I could see that happening more so than the fans or especially the club starting to say he's kind of expired his, his, his welcome there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, and if you, if you look at the transfer rumors as well, Michael, I mean, Atletico, definitely Arsenal, have been heavily linked with Thomas Partey. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if that move will go through because we still have one month left before the transfer window closes. <laughs> That's I mean, crazy. Less, <laughs> le, yeah, less, less than a month. But again, it's, it, it's the transfer window. It, it, it's crazy every single year. So you never know what might happen. But And it's it's Arsenal. So obviously, you, you, don't, you <laughs> can't expect them to sell a lot. But... Yeah, but uh, again, if they lose Thomas, it's going to be a big blow. But they've been also linked Oof, with yeah. Mark. They've been linked with Espanol's Mark Rocca, who I, I don't know if it's just a bogus rumor, but I see the experience yeah, we'll him with. Yeah, so in terms of transfer activity, do you think mm-hmm. Atleti needs to strengthen some position in the team? Well, do they need to? Sure. Can they? No. Uh, I mean, they don't really have the funds to do it. And they have a couple of guys like Thomas Lamar who and Diego Costa who really should never probably have been bought. But that's a whole separate yeah. conversation. Guys that need to be moved on, but in the current market, they just can't. Or if they do, they're going to take a massive 
loss and especially Lamar's investment. So, you know, they got Carrasco. That's really encouraging. I think he's going to be a starter pretty quickly. They just, you know, finalized that deal this week. That's encouraging. They're bringing back a couple of younger guys that uh, on the defensive side that I think will be healthy again. It'll, it'll be good moves. But overall, their hands are just so tied. But that's okay. I mean, look at that squad, though. This is the second year for a lot of young, strong players that should be starting to come into their own under a new manager. So, I, you know, if I'm Barcelona and there are no signs, no new signings, I'm a little concerned. Uh, if I'm Val- Valencia and watching half my squad get sold, I'm very concerned. But if I'm Atletico Madrid, I feel pretty, pretty good about this squad. Honestly, it's they're in a good position, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would like to actually sneak in a patent question here. I mean, Chris asked you already about uh, Sevilla being a dark horse, which is also a patent question from Dieter Van Gogh. Mm. But another question from Dieter himself is on Valencia. Do you think Valencia could have a revival this season? Because <laughs> they appointed a new manager, Javi Garcia. I mean, again, they've sold their captain, Danny Parejo. They've sold Francis Coquelin. They've sold Ferran Torres. They, uh, I, I think they've bought in Rulli or have they sold him? I'm, I'm not sure about that. Okay, they, it's not Valencia again. Sorry. So, they've... they've actually made all these sales and having Asiya, we discussed in the last podcast whether he would be a yes man or would he actually go there to kind of say or say for example he, he's going there to say we are going to challenge again I'm going to get this team I'm going to make them a top four candidate once again I'm going to take Valencia back to the top again looks like he is because I think it was yesterday or today where he had a press presser where he mentioned that he's a little bit disappointed with the transfer activity. So yeah. he's definitely not being a yes man. Yeah, he's I'm not naive. Sure. Yeah, he's definitely not naive. So do you think it could be a revival season for Valencia? No, I think it's a survival se- season for Valencia more than revival, to be honest. <laughs> man, I feel so bad for these fans, honestly. It, it feels like just yesterday they were winning a, a cup trophy and talking about staying in Europe for the next few years. And then just like that, you know, one one sacking and it's completely upside down. No, I, I don't see I don't see Valencia doing much more than a top half finish. I, I actually think just given this, the way that La Liga tends to go, they could probably fight for a European position. <clears throat> but at this point, I'm going to be surprised if they bring any significant signings in the door. And as uh, Javi said today at the presser, th- this is just not a squad that can compete and be a regular for a European position. So. Very disappointing, man. I mean, I you know when you see a guy like Ferran Torres go for what was it twenty twenty two million or something like that, yeah. you, you lose <laughs> your captain for free. Rodrigo goes for thirty or I mean, guys, come on, what? It's it's it's, it's not even Barcelona where there's no vision. It's the, the vision. The vision is let's just survive while we can and hope that in the next couple of years something drastic changes. Now, okay, look, a little bit of bad luck with the pandemic. I understand that. But man, this was coming anyway. Just maybe not quite as badly as it did. Yeah. Michael, has there been any kind of sort of, not deadline, I think that would be the wrong way, but I mean, is there anything that's come out of Valencia to say, right, well, this is it now. We've sold, we've made the money back that we needed to make. Or is it just going to be an endless list of, if you stump up any kind of cash, we will sell? Because it just seems, uh, normally when, when a team goes into this kind of issue, there's like, right, we need to make 50 million quick, or we need to sell off five players, mm-hmm. five the highest wage earners. But it just, th- there's nothing that seems, uh, has there been anything that's 
That's all. Yeah, that you know, sort of suggests the end. I mean, Paco uh, Pulley, I don't know if you guys follow him on Twitter, but he, he put out a nice piece, well, a couple of nice pieces talking about just their general health as a club. And <laughs> and he, he's kind of my go-to when it comes to a lot of things with Los Che. I, I don't get the sense that this is a, you know, make a couple of key signings and then we're going to be right back in the top four race. It feels more like, uh, or a couple of key sales, I mean, uh, and then we'll be back in the top four race. It feels more like let's sell now because we were already in trouble and the pandemic put us in emergency mode. And then we can reassess in a year based on what happens, uh, you know, in the league and what kind of money we get in the door. That That's like the opposite of encouraging. If I'm a fan, that, that sounds like we could be here for a few years. And if, if fans aren't allowed to come back in and get some revenue in the door quickly, they could really be heading for a pretty sharp decline. So, but yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing I see about the club that says, you know, we'll just we'll sell a couple other key guys and then we'll we'll be back on the up and up that's not the direction that i see them going yeah so what would you consider then a good season for them just oh, simply as you uh, say i say if they can not have to hire a second manager <laughs> or third <laughs> this season and if they could finish in the top half i'd say that's a win now that doesn't really solve anything at all they yeah. they really need european money they they need to be playing in europe every year right now i i'd be i would just be i mean again in, in most years i feel like this squad probably is good enough you know you had granada competing for a top six spot so this squad should be able probably to do that but when you look at other sides like Villarreal or real sociedad i mean even athletic club i just think there are too many guys ahead of them in the pecking order so i can't see that top half finish not have to sell any more key guys and have the same manager for a whole season there's a good, yeah. there's a good campaign for me as sad as that sounds yeah yeah. Yeah, and Michael, I'd just like to bring up some other teams as well. Like you just mentioned, Villarreal, who's got Unai Emery in. They've signed Parejo, yeah. they signed Coquelin, they signed Rudy, they've signed Takafusa Kubo on loan from Real That's Madrid. Exciting, man. Yeah, so they, they they've actually Emery is actually trying to make an Emery ball there at Villarreal. They've lost Santi Casola, mm-hmm. but again. No. He, he's definitely a big miss for them as a leader in the dressing room, but they've actually brought in really good players. And Parejo, definitely. Yeah. Again, leader material. So you you, you just mm. replace that figure that Sandy Casolas left void with a perfect, another perfect leader in Parejo. So Absolutely. they're doing good business. They are definitely aiming for the top. Athletic Bilbao, again, a club who's like, who's always in the mix and they can always surprise other teams. Real Sociedad, last season, Odegaard was wonderful for them. So this time they were not going to get him, but they signed David Silva. I did not see that coming because he was definitely act, uh, definitely yeah. actually destined to go to Italy. But somehow Sociedad yeah. pulled it off. So that's a really, really good coup because they have the experience of Silva. They have I, I, He's still a really good player, in my opinion, David Silva. And I think he's definitely going to be a really, really good player. And definitely going to start as well. So, which teams do you see actually pushing for a top four spot? Maybe uh, for maybe Sevilla, Atletico Madrid's top four spot. I would say. Yeah, honestly, I feel like a lot of the teams you just mentioned are are the real potential ones. I think with Hitafe, you know, they've they've sort of been a surprise package, fighting for the top four, at least in the last couple of seasons. I I don't think that's going to happen again. They're they're that team that for me when we came back from the, the long layoff, were just a completely different side. It felt like the wind got knocked out of them. They lost all momentum. They looked mentally weak very often. 
and they haven't really, I mean, they've, you know, affirmed getting Kukurea a little bit, and uh, they got Unal. We'll see how that goes. But they haven't really strengthened the squad. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't see them pushing for top four. I could honestly go through the list. Each of those teams you mentioned, I think, could, but they have some real question marks. Real Sociedad, I don't think, has gotten substantially weaker, even with Martin moving on. Uh, but they're, you know, their back line is still leaves a lot of question marks for me. I don't know if they can handle added fixtures and actually go a step further into fighting for the top four again. I would love to see that happen. I can't see it. Villarreal, same thing. Man, that's probably the most exciting team for me looking at the upcoming season just with the new signings they got, with the the depth they have for this squad. They'll be playing in some European fixtures. But as exciting as that is, when you see a lot of new players come in, you have to immediately ask, well, how long until they take or how long will they need to gel? Uh, where are a couple of these new signings going to play? What does it mean for guys like Chukwuesi, uh, new manager? I don't know. They could either be a surprise top four contender, which I would love to see, or take a couple of months to really hit on all cylinders. And before we know it, we're talking about them just hoping to get a top six place. So, it's, yeah, it's tricky, man. I, I Honestly, I feel like Atleti and Sevilla have the top four spots pretty locked up this season. But... But you never know. We had a lot of surprises last campaign, too. So you never know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair. Yeah. So that's probably with the, I, I guess, with the Champions League spot. I definitely it's going to be one of these teams or two of these teams who's going to be occupying the Europa League spots as well. Maybe Granada might push mm-hmm. them a little bit. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Last season was, was definitely a surprise for me, the way they pushed. These clubs, yeah, yeah, so for everybody, that, I think. Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see what they do this season. And yeah, in terms of the relegation battle last season, Celta Vigo were actually thrown into the mix. They somehow escaped, but this season, do you see Celta Vigo again in the relegation battle? And about uh, this is again another patron question from Dieter. Do you think the three promoted teams? Huesca, Cadiz, and Elche uh, somehow staying up? I do. Uh, I'm such a pessimist, man, I swear. I feel like sometimes I'm too hard on La Liga, maybe because it's... <laughs> <laughs> but, <for> the, <laughs> but when I honestly, here, here's the way, I, and I would love to hear you guys, uh, especially from you, Chris, as more of a, a premiership fan. It, it feels to me like when I when I look at the, the league as a whole, I go through uh, Celta, uh, Alaves, Ibar, Elche, uh, boy, all the all the newly promoted teams. You almost almost half the league. I could see genuinely fighting relegation for most of this yeah. year. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if Osasuna and even Levante. I know that's a little harsh because I think they're stronger than most of the clubs I mentioned. I wouldn't be shocked to be to see them in some kind of a relegation battle for at least parts of the season too. So because there are so many sides that I think are pretty level with each other, it makes the bottom half very competitive, which is really enjoyable. And to, to the question, I think, yeah, all three of the newly promoted sides could certainly stay up. But I think it also, on the other hand, kind of makes it a little disappointing that there are so many teams that are just failing to get out of out of that zone of being, you know, kind of relegation battling sides this year. But but again, I'm I'm kind of pessimistic in general when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'd, I'd love to know what your perspective is as uh, maybe sort of more looking from a more of an outsider's view on the league. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes I. <sighs> Right, if we compare it to the Premiership, because obviously that's our, that's our, obviously mine uh, and Riffrick's giving yeah, the clubs obviously standard, support. Yeah. That's our sort of, yeah, that's our standard. <laughs> I probably have a similar opinion as you about the Premiership. Again, uh, maybe, oh, uh, maybe I'm, uh, okay. yeah, I'm uh, a little bit maybe 
maybe I'm correct in it and people buy into the, the, the marketing aspect of it, but I, I, I always think that there's always a lot more teams in the Premiership looking down rather than up. And if you look outside maybe the top seven, generally everyone else is just happy to be in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so disappointing, you know. But it's just the reality. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, you could look as far up. Certainly last season, maybe again because it was the pandemic um, in our league. At least up until tenth place. Give it if one or two fixtures went the other way at the right time, then it, every one of those teams could have been in a relegation battle. Come the last three or four games of the season. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean see that that's, being the case in Spain for sure. Yeah. And again, from an outsider's point of view, looking at the league, I get that. I get that. It's it's similar there. Where one, it doesn't take much to get out of it, but it doesn't get take. It doesn't take much to get dro- dragged into it either, just because exactly. of the inc- exactly. the level of inconsistency from the team, say from from eighth place downwards. Yeah, that's right on. Yeah. you know, in some ways, I actually think it's a it's kind of a good thing. Because it shows that there are a handful of teams that are moving into that kind of third tier of, you know, establishing themselves as top half teams, and so. But but the problem is anybody who's not there yet just has no real chance of breaking that barrier. I think what happened with Granada last year was just so many things coming into play at, at the right time. But you're right. Yeah. I, I like your language of more teams looking down than up. It was Real Betis. Gosh. I want to say they they finished like four teams or four points above the drop, right? Four or five points. Come yeah. on, that's not a team that should have any business being there. Even Celta Vigo should be closer to the top path than getting relegated, considering yeah. the squads that they have. But they both look like, especially Batiste, doesn't look like, a, like they're going to improve much at all on last season. And again, I'm saying that with a bit of pessimism. I love that they brought in Pellegrini. Don't get me wrong. But that's <laughs> just not a that's not a side that I look at and say, okay. They're closer to fighting for the top six than they are to to staying around the bottom half of the of the league. It's it's it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> there's there's not much you can yeah. do about it. But but I yeah. see a lot of teams that are going to be in that if it's, if not a relegation battle, then just feeling like getting a top half finish is, is their real goal for the year. Yeah. Again with uh, yeah again with Pellegrini, Michael, like you said, I mean he he was appointed my guy. West. Yeah, he was appointed <laughs> by West West Ham last summer. He was he was appointed. Oh. And he bought in a lot of players. It went completely wrong. It went completely wrong. So they've they've had to sack him, and they bought in. They had to bring in David Moyes to replace Ooh. Manuel Pellegrini, who had to keep <laughs> West Ham up. So yeah, that man. explains a lot. And please I, don't I, let that happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of Everton connections on this show, guys. Oh <laughs> man, yeah. come on, Rodriguez. James Rodriguez. Too much, too much. Chris, Chris, is, Chris is finally so happy that Everton's in the mix. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, man. La Liga's team out there. La Liga's team. Yeah, man. yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Betis is tricky. You know, like again, that that squad shouldn't be getting in a relegation battle, in my mind. And I understand, you know, if a couple of things go differently, a couple of people who were injured, uh, if Iglesias performs like half the player that they paid money for, if Carvalho stays fit and gets back and forth, okay, they're probably more like, you know, 8 through 12 spot. They're not fighting relegation near the end of the season. But still, it's it's pretty much the same team as we saw last year. It's older than before. Uh, their big signing this year came for no money, Martin Montoya. And he's somebody that I consider to be very, very average. They needed to upgrade at keeper, so they brought in Claudio Bravo, who's, what, 35, 36, maybe older. Uh, Victor Ruiz is brought in to shore up the defense. He's 31, about to be 32. Like, man, 
what what's the goal here what are, what are you doing yeah. and i rate pellegrini i don't think you'll find a bigger fan of his than i am uh he's sort of my my ro- you know my romantic guy from from the last 15 years ago of Villarreal and, and even malaga so i, I love the guy <laughs> but but what are you going to put on someone at that age, at that stage of his career, expectations with a team like this? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super optimistic. I just look forward to watching him play, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. I mean, the work he's done with Villarreal before, Malaga as well, I think it's all very much... I, I, I think that those are probably the jobs which actually enhance his reputation. But since, yeah. the, since the City job, I think he's kind of lost the plot. I, 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 I really don't understand. And I think it, it's quite similar to what Mourinho, Mourinho went through probably. I think it's, it's, it's ah. a phase where Pellegrini, I think, should have taken a break and tried to kind of rediscover mm. himself. But again, he's again, I mean, when it, it's obviously, uh, you know, uh, understandable because managers don't usually like to stay away too much. So they, they just right, want to get right. in when they see a good opportunity and Betis is really I mean in my opinion I think Betis is a good team for Pellegrini I think it, it's it's a team which uh, I think suits him well but again the, 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 the squad does for sure yeah yeah I mean Claudio Bravo again you said it's it's all I, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic because of the finances as well Mm. I, I I don't know if if the transfer policy has changed because of the whole situation here with all the clubs. Yeah, I know it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, yeah, it's certainly not helping. It, you know, the good thing that I like about him going there is you kind of wonder if if you're at his age and you've accomplished all that he's accomplished, winning you know a title in England, uh, doing so much in Spain already. One of my fears would be that he's just looking for a team to kind of ride out his career, have some fun before he retires. That will not happen at Betis. This is, this is not a club that's going to be content with him just being mediocre or average. E- even, even knowing what happened last year, this is a team that's always going to be looking towards Sevilla and saying, look, if we're not getting close to our biggest rivals, we're failing and we're not going to settle for that. So in some sense, I think it's good that he's at a team that will push him, that won't settle for mediocrity, and that will kind of demand his best. I don't know what it was like for him in England last year. But he's certainly not walking into a little cushy environment. He, he's gonna. There's gonna be a lot expected of him. So that's that's good. I think that's gonna filter down to the rest of the squad too, which which you want at a club at that level. Yeah. I think the thing with Mario Pellegrini. I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you, Michael. I ra- I rate him quite highly as a manager, but because of because of the style of play he he approaches the game with, he's quite strict with his four four two or four four one one formation for me it's about who he takes over rather than uh, he, he needs to take over mm. a club with that the, the set of players ready for him like, mm, so that's done, right uh, done very well with again uh, Everton connection here he was actually in charge of Villarreal when they knocked out the Champions League our one and only uh, <laughs> attempt in the Champions League oh uh, I'm sorry <laughs> yeah uh, I thought he'd done, he done a great job there he'd done a great job at Malaga, I thought he was very unlucky in the Champions League against yeah. um, Bruce Jürgen Klopp's. It was that refereeing decision, wasn't it? That sort of knocked them yeah, out. I don't, yeah, Jürgen yeah. Klopp getting the benefit of the referees. Nothing new there, I suppose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I also think... Yeah, Klopp would disagree, ha- but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also think his job at Real Madrid was very 
underappreciated. Oh, no question, man. No question. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. High, highest point total in, in history, I think, for them at that point. But unfortunately, yeah. came against the guy. Uh, what was his name? <laughs> Pep, Pep something. Yeah. yeah. And I think that approach that we talked about, again, when you have a group of players at Manchester City, that, that approach can work because of the level of ability. But then when you have, when you take that approach to West Ham, it's a whole different, mm. it's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, I just didn't um, have the squad. When, yeah, I just didn't have the squad, didn't have the players with the right mentality. And once you get into that inconsistency in the Premiership, there's only, you know, it's only sooner rather than later that you're going to lose your job. So I'm glad to see him back in a job. But again, I'm, I'm with you. It's quite quite intriguing to see what this job Real Betis, where I would hate for it to go, go bad for him. Me That's too, all man. a bit, yeah. And there's re- honestly, there's reason to be hopeful there. When you when you look at the squad, I do see a lot of similarities with what else we've seen in Spain in terms of he has a, he has a couple of guys out wide. I know Joaquin, you know, he's like 38 going on 60 right now. But I mean, you have some <laughs> players that he can utilize on the flank, which he loves to do. You have a couple of creative and hardworking attacking midfielders. Uh, he likes to he likes to overload. He, he the squad is there, I think, for the way that he wants to play. So for me, Batiste is probably, if not the team, one of the teams that I'm most excited to see how they turn out. Because if everything does kind of fall into place with a little bit of luck, right manager, right players, right time, I, I as weird as it sounds, I wouldn't be shocked at all if these guys are at least getting within those European spots throughout the season. But unfortunately, I also wouldn't be surprised if I see them, you know, you know, fighting relegation for a few months at a time. But so I don't know, you know, they're they're really intriguing to me. I, I look forward to seeing what happens with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, given given the fact that we're on that subject, one of our patrons, Paul, probably the best best time to ask this question: Who do you think are going to be the biggest overachievers in La Liga this up and coming season? Oh, I love that. That's a good question. I have two teams. <laughs> you might biggest laugh surprise. So it's yeah. almost unfair to pick Granada, okay? But but hear me out. It's as I say it's almost unfair because they overachieved last season, so it's kind of cheating to think they would do it again. But I like this team, man. I mean, it's good leadership, and they actually somehow strengthened a little bit in the summer with Soro, and uh, they brought in Molina in attack. They got Vallejo back. This is man, these guys could really surprise a little bit. Now I don't know that they're going to have what was it, the three weeks or four weeks where they were you know title contenders. Last season. I don't expect that. But there's no reason anybody on any given season should expect Granada to be a top six side or even probably a ta- top half side most of the time. So I think yeah. they're going to overachieve even with the European fixtures. I expect them to surprise some people. The second team, which which is where I think people might laugh, is Real Valladolid. Okay, so I know... I know this is like relegation fodder many times. And I, I mean, I think they were clear last year. They, apart from their little three-game skid, I think they, they were safe by a couple of matches. But they brought in a couple of interesting signings to me in defense and attack that I think will really, and even out wide, that I think will round out the squad and give them the ability to kind of secure a top-half place. Now, I know those aren't sexy. It's not, it's not the sexy picks to talk about who's going to surprise at the Champions League position. But yeah, I, think, no, yeah. I think both of those sides for sure, well, I say for sure for me, are going to surprise some people with how, how they perform, at least with the, with the top half team. I wouldn't be shocked to see Via the Lead, for example, beat a couple of the heavy hitters in the first half of the season that are coming in a little more tired from European fixtures. Wouldn't yeah. shock me at all. Good shout. Good shout. Yeah, Via the Lead is actually uh, very, I, know, I mean, I'm actually surprised that you went with them. <laughs> 
I know, I know. It's 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 sort of a weird pick, and they're yeah. not a side that I would usually <laughs> usually bank on. But I'm I'm kind of hoping that they'll they'll surprise us with some key wins, especially early on in the season while some other contenders are tired. Yeah, and and I think we have a few more patient questions left, which we'll actually go through. I mean, Chris has definitely asked you one. The other one again from Paul is, who do you think will be the biggest disappointment this season? Ah, so depending on how you how you view this team, I think Athletic Club is going to underwhelm. Uh, you know, I, I know you you would assume I think on paper that they they'll be fighting for the top six, but yeah. they really don't have any attackers. I mean, they're relying on what thirty three year old, thirty two year old Raúl Garcia as their primary striker right now. Never a good thing, and no disrespect to him. I know he got double digits and goals last year. I don't think they're going to get close to a European spot this season. Uh, Hetafe, same. I think they're going to drop. But the one that maybe would be surprising, and I know this kind of goes against what I said a little bit earlier, but I have I have a feeling that the yellow submarine, Villarreal, is going to come out and get rocked a little bit with how Ooh. slow they start to mm. gel as a team. Even in the preseason friendly that we saw against Valencia, which I never put any weight on preseason matches, and I don't hear... But there, there's just there's something about that team that looks like a really talented squad that's going to take a bit of time to start hitting their stride, and with with the top six being so tight this year and so many teams fighting for a European place, I don't think they can be afforded that. So I know it's a little risky because because of the team I'm really high on at the same time, and yeah. I love the squad. I I cannot wait to see them play football, but I I think they're going to be a little a little slow out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting, given. I mean, as any is, Unai Emery's reputation took any kind of beating since he le- left Spain. Um, went yeah. to PSG and Arsenal. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, and I rate him too, you know. But again, new manager, yeah. pretty significant new squad in some key positions. I don't know, man. I just I I've got a just a weird feeling about it, and I can't. It's not like I can back that up with any data, of course. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. I feel like yeah. they could disappoint. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of expectation on them now as well. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, 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 that's what's that pushing could, me the other yeah. way. Yeah. I hear people talking about a top four position. I'm thinking, man, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I see that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably a way, I, I think, way to over expectation on Una Emery to go ahead and start kicking soon. I think so. And I'd love for that to happen. I hope it happens. Yeah, but, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> and I think, like, I mean, it, it, it's obvious that there will be criticism if uh, if he fails to start well. But I think mm. most of them would be unwarranted because because of the whole situation that is here right now. No proper preseason. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So any, I, I, any team with a new manager right now is going to suffer from that, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think any team, even... Me and Riff, we mentioned this in there uh, when we discussed in the Premiership. Any team with any kind of momentum, say such as Seville, say yeah. winning your, the Europa League, coming into this new season, bug, I think they'll come firing out the blocks. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Think Which is like the opposite the high, of what yeah. we saw, you know, with with the with the break last spring. Yeah, some of the yeah. teams who were flying in January just came out as if they died, you know, <laughs> when they were yeah, yeah. yeah. back up. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The momentum. I mean, it was what it was what a month ago. So if you were if you were in a great run of form a month ago, I expect them to keep it up. I think you're right on, Chris. Yeah, yeah. and you mentioned you you mentioned Atletico Bilbao uh, or Athletic Bilbao, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're given like they they could be the underperformers of the season. 
I mean, they traditionally, whenever you think of, say, a top six, top seven club in Spain, and like Riffwick mentioned before, you automatically associate with that club finishing in those places. But I mean, mm-hmm. last year they finished 11th, which was, I know. must have been a, missed a disappoint, disappointment then. Well, I think they lost like five out of the last six or something. Yeah. They only won one match in the last month and a half. So, And it is a club. Yeah, it is a club that maybe it hinders itself with its transfer approach. Mm. Given uh, they only sign best players. But at the same time, they tend to just go and sign Real Sociedad's best players anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so it doesn't matter in the end, right? Yeah, yeah. So... They they should be they should be doing better, shouldn't they? A lot better. It seems like they always have one good season, two bad seasons, one good season, one two bad season. Always just an in- inconsistent. They never seem yeah. to make that sort of next level step up. And you understand why why they're limited, of course. But yeah, and, and look, a couple things could happen this year if Asia uh, Villalibre hits. Uh, I don't know that a couple things like that. A couple young players, especially in attack, and to me, it's what you know, a top three defense in the league. So I think they're set there. Uh, midfield's pretty strong. Things could could go well pretty easily with just one or two guys surprising out of the gate. But yeah, you just you never know. You know, at least they they're one of the few teams that have a lot of stability right now, and most yeah. of the leaders are staying on. So that's a very positive thing, I think, in this context of of just the pandemic and all the changes happening this season specifically. Yeah. And what do you think of the goalkeeper? You nice oh, Simon. Oh, that's my boy. Come on. <laughs> that's a guy, right? Um, yeah, probably the best keeper in Spain last year, at least top two for me. Uh, yeah. So he, man, if he has another season like that, I don't know. I don't know what Lucho would have to do to not start him in the Euros next summer. I think he's the guy. He's the future of the national team, I think. It'll be I'm really curious to see if he can do that two seasons in a row. Yeah. Well that's one of our Patreon questions from Dita. Do you think he should be in the starting lineup for Spain come the European Championship? Oh man, that's a hard question. But here's why. With with national teams that are playing in a European in a in a continental tournament or the World Cup, obviously. I, I don't think you can overemphasize how important it is to have experience. And so, David yeah. De Gea, look, nobody can deny his drop in form. But the comments that Lucho made the other day when De Gea had a great match, uh, it, was, it was right after the Germany match. I forget who it was. Uh, you know, he showed a lot of yeah, confidence. Germany. And, was it Germany? Okay, so he showed a lot of confidence in the players, spoke, you know, I, I'll butcher it as a quote, but kind of spoke about how I hope people are seeing that this is the De Gea that we have, that kind of a thing. <clears throat> so, man, I th- there's no doubt in my mind right now that Simone is in a better run of form. Come next summer, he might even be the better player. But when it comes to selecting who should start at the Euros, for me, it's not just a matter of put out the best players. You have to get the right dynamic, the right mix, and having experience, especially at the keeper position. Man, that's just so, so important. And... Yeah, it just depends. If if he performs at a high level and De Gea does not rebound well, I would go with Simon. Uh, but if De Gea can get back even close to what he was a few years ago, I'd probably still go with him, even though I would not do it because he's a better keeper. Yeah, good shout. I, I think, in, yeah. my personal, in my personal opinion now, I think he should be number one. I, I would, I think David De Gea now, I don't think, I think he, his best years are behind him. I don't see him yeah, hitting sure. the level. I don't see him recapturing the le- or hitting the level that he was at whilst he's at a man- at Manchester United. Mm. I think he he should have left when he had the opportunity. Yeah, 
Man, imagine hey. I'm on Madrid right now. What would have happened? You know? Yeah. <laughs> a fax machine. A, uh, who 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 would know that a fax machine would stand in David De Gea to wait? Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. Man, how different would these last few years have been for some of those clubs? <laughs> if that just that yeah. one move, if it had gone through. You know. So going to the question of whether or not he should start, though, it's interesting because Lucho is so sneaky when it comes to to pressers. Like I, I heard that statement as either. De Gea's my guy. Everybody relax. Just know that now we're going with him next summer. I could just as, e- as easily hear him saying that as in, let me honor this player, respect him, but I'm definitely about to put him on the bench. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you just don't know with him, man. He's, he's yeah. such a, I, I don't mean sneaky in a mean way, but he's, he's very playful with the media and he's not going to reveal too much too early. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I, I'm actually a little bit curious about the stats as well. And, if you look at the last two seasons, I think De Gea hit his peak in, I guess it was the 2017-18 season where he recorded amazing world-class peak numbers uh, in terms mm. of post-shots, post uh, XG, which is oh, yeah. one of the best metrics for a keeper. But since then, it's so. been a massive regression. And another keeper, Spanish keeper, Kepar is a balaga. His is Go. the worst. He is definitely the worst keeper in the Premier League. And I, I don't have, actually, I don't even need to think the second time to say this because it, <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious. And De Gea, I mean, coming to De Gea again, I think his one of, I mean, positioning was probably never his part of the game, his good part of the game. Mm. It's always been reflexes and short stopping. And I actually see... I think that's fair. Yeah, I actually see his short stopping regress a lot more last season than... You know, and and oh, that, that actually that that actually actually I mean actually says something and it's definitely going down. He's definitely declining and it's very obvious. And for Manchester United to keep Dean Henderson again, I mean they're keeping Dean Henderson because Sheffield United have signed Aaron Ramsdale. So I, I it looks mm. like Henderson's gonna be kept at United. So it's gonna be more or less like De Gea probably getting slowly replaced by Henderson. Probably Henderson might start as number two at first and he might slowly get eased if De Gea keeps on making the mistakes he did last season. Ah, well, that would kind of kill his chance at the Euros, I think. If he, if, if it really went that far south, I think he would lose that position. But again, you know, I'm still I'm still okay with De Gea being on the squad. Capable of being on the squad, to me, mind-blowing. That Man, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I was yeah. trying to think of five Spanish keepers that I'd take over him. And I just, man... Chelsea pedigree, I guess. I don't. I don't know what that. You know, there were rumors that he was going to be going to Atleti for a block, which had me up and off, to say the least. <laughs> uh, yeah. always, always a ridiculous rumor, no question about it. But still, that was that was one of. And I'm and I'm one of those people who probably has a surprising view of what Atleti should be doing with a block, but just not for a guy like Kepa. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And coming on to the last two patron questions, Michael, before ending the podcast, all those both, both the questions are from a patron, Paul. And this is about Barcelona again. So mm. his first question is, do you think Barcelona's troubles both on and off the pitch are actually as bad as the media make it out? The English media or the Spanish media? <laughs> either way, I think, I think yeah, yes, uh, either way. I mean, look, you have the, the biggest player in your team very publicly saying that he has no confidence in the in the institution of FC Barcelona. So obviously, I mean, what more can you say than that? There, you know, the vote of no confidence for Barto. I think things are as bad as they make it out to be at the institutional level. Whether things actually play out that badly on the pitch, 
uh, we talked about that before. I, I still wouldn't be surprised if they if they kind of overperform against expectations. But yeah, I, I think it's as bad as the media makes it out to be. Yeah, and the, and his final question is about La Masia again. Do you think uh, Barcelona might actually now? I mean, it's been pretty long since there has been like a world class talent come out from La Masia again. I mean, at one point of time, mm. I mean, I, I, I probably I can speak for myself. I was probably thinking that you could actually see world class players coming in every two or three years from La Masia, but it's it's mm. all gone wayward there. And Paul's question is: Do you think Barcelona might have better success using La Masia in the future, or do you think again they're gonna go with these hundred million signings, sixty, eighty million signings? Ah, mm. uh, yeah. Well, I mean. I'll tell you immediately. I think that's a false dichotomy. Even when we look at great success under Pep Guardiola, yes, it was primarily signings from La Masia, but you don't win that silverware without guys like Thierry Henry and uh, Dani Alves, um, David Villa, even Ibra had a you know I think yeah. underrated season. You had some massive signings back then. Okay, I mean like record signings. So it's not as if it, they're not athletic club, right? They're not running out with a bunch of local boys and winning trebles. But but uh, but still, nonetheless. I do think that is sort of a false dichotomy. You don't have to do one or the other. But the, to really answer that question, you you have to know what the long-term plan is. It goes back to my point before. If if you were going to tell me that we're not looking at this season necessarily as a wash, but we are we're trying to plan two, three years out instead of just going year by year, then I say, guys, get rid of a lot of these older players. Even guys like if you want, if you could get rid of Busquets, I'm talking like that caliber of player. I wouldn't get rid of him. I would put him on the bench. But start transitioning some of these guys out. Get rid of Suarez. I'd even start trying to market Griezmann to, to maybe PSG or something. And start tapping into some of these younger players. Fatih, uh, Trincao, uh, Pedri. Get, get, get some of these guys on the pitch more and see what you're going to do with the young talent. But, but we don't know that. We don't know, what, we don't know what the plan is, so we don't know if you should rely on young players. Um, I think there are probably a few positions that you're going to have to buy. Uh, specifically both uh, fullback positions you're going to have to buy. And just given the state of football today, you you can rarely find, you know, Liverpool, they're freaks. You can rarely find elite fullbacks without nearly breaking records on those players. Um, so I, if there is anywhere that if I'm Barcelona, I'm going to spin big to get. It's going to be at fullback. And the rest of the squad, go for some young guys. See what they can do for a year or two. Yeah. I, I I definitely hope Barcelona doesn't cheekily put in again a 140 150 million euro for <laughs> our full Liverpool's fullbacks. Yeah, <laughs> they should if they were going to do anything. That's what I would do. <laughs> man, yeah, as sure as sure a thing as you could get, probably. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode, Michael. It's been a pleasure speaking to you once again. I mean, last Always. podcast. Definitely was amazing. This is again another top top podcast, and I hope people will enjoy La Liga this season because obviously it's it, it's as exciting as it gets. And by the time we release this podcast, the first match week would have been already done. But we've obviously spoken a lot, which I think listeners can take in for the whole season. So it's been a fun. It's been fun talking to you, my Yeah. Team. Likewise, guys. Yeah. I love it. Every time. Look forward to doing it again, man. Definitely. Yeah, no. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege, mate. Always Thanks. always welcome on here. Exactly. Yeah, we'll circle back with uh, with Barcelona's next manager in two months. We'll come back on again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean uh, people actually don't expect, you know, worse than the current situation, but 
like chris said earlier mm. in the podcast he did not expect and you see what's happened right now so you never know you never know with barcelona yeah let's head it back with messi's player manager in a couple of months we'll, we'll get another podcast <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that brings us to the end of this podcast and thank you to all our listeners as well for tuning in to our podcast until the next episode bye bye